Open your Bible to Luke chapter number 2. We've been teaching this month on the power of the seed. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. That was a prophecy uh, uh, that Jesus Christ was going to come and bruise the head of Satan. And it really made the devil nervous whenever God said that in Genesis because he didn't understand it. Matter of fact, historians almost impossibly, it would be almost impossible to understand it until you know about Bethlehem in a manger because the seed of the woman doesn't make any sense. The seed of mankind would make sense, but the seed of woman doesn't make sense because here's the deal, uh, not to give you an anatomy test, but a woman doesn't have seed, a woman has an egg. So how can the seed of woman do anything? It was a prophecy of a virgin birth that was going to take place in Bethlehem with a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger that would become the king of kings and lord of lords, destroy sickness, death, hell, and the grave for you and me so that we could live forever in eternity with God walking on the streets of gold. It was a prophecy. But it confused the devil. It confused the enemy of God because he didn't understand it. So what he did was he decided he was going to begin to uh, ransack and attack the womb of a woman. It started... Uh, in in uh, Israel, in Egypt, whenever the Israelites were slaves, the Bible says that the, that the Egyptians feared that the Israelites would outnumber them, so they decided they were going to kill all the baby boys that were ever born. They were going to kill all the, the male Israelites that were born. Uh, uh, and then, whenever Jesus was rumored, to be birth, was rumored to be born in a town called Bethlehem, Herod said, I'm going to have every uh, child under two years old killed to make sure that we get the seed of the woman. Nowadays, we call it abortion, and you don't have to wait until the baby gets out. They just kill it while it's still in the womb, because since Genesis chapter number 3, the womb of women, the womb of the woman has been under attack because it is the seed of woman that will bruise the head of the serpent. But here's the scenario. Jesus uh, is not plan B. Jesus is not a subordinate plan. Jesus is not, uh, uh, oh no, uh, mankind sinned, what are we going to do now? Oh, I got an idea, I'll have my son die. No, uh, Revelation chapter 13 says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. So Jesus is the plan. The Ten Commandments are proof positive that you and me cannot live by God's standard. So he had to send somebody who would live by God's standard in, in order for us to have access to the throne room where we could boldly walk in and make our request known to him. But Jesus is not a subordinate plan, nor is he some kind of an alternate plan. He was the plan before the foundation of the world. Amen? Amen. So the seed of the woman comes along and bruises the head of the serpent. Well, uh, the seed of the woman is Jesus, so you and me ought to be real familiar with the Christmas story, especially this time of year. Christians ought to know the Christmas story better than anybody else that ever was. Uh, Christians ought to know the Christmas story better than, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer on TV, which we watched and I laughed and it's fine. But that's not the Christmas story. A fat man in a suit is not the Christmas story. A baby in a manger is a Christmas story. Without Jesus laying in a manger, we would have no Easter. Without Easter, we would have no crucifixion. 
with no crucifixion, we would have no price paid. With no price paid, you and me would be damned to an eternity away from God in a place called hell, which is not designed for man at all. It's designed for one-third of heaven, the devil and his demons who were slung from heaven, who fell from heaven as lightning from the sky, according to Jesus. That is a place established for them who rioted against God and against the things of God. That is what hell is designed for, not for you and for me. So for you and for me to be able to avoid that, it's a very positive scenario. It's better to go to heaven with Jesus than it is to go to hell with the devil and every... It's better to go to heaven. Luke chapter number 2 says this, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Here's the deal. He went from Nazareth to Bethlehem when his wife was nine months pregnant. That's 80 miles that Mary rode on the back of a donkey. If they covered 20 miles a day, which would be a lot, that's four days that a nine-month pregnant woman rode on the back of a donkey. It's a miracle she made it to Bethlehem with the baby. I remember when Crystal was pregnant. A 40-minute trip was a big deal in the car. And the car's got rubber tires, air in the tires, shocks, springs, and everything imaginable to make that sucker comfy when you're riding without any of the, any of the negative attributes that you would get by riding a donkey 80 miles in the wilderness. She rode 80 miles, y'all, on a donkey nine months pregnant. Can I just say that if men had been tasked with the, the, the act of having children, there would have only been one born. I'm not doing that again. No. And we would have told all of our buddies about how it happens. And, and, and everybody else said, no, I, just, I don't need a kid anyway. I'll get a dog. Number one, God's will for your life is not always convenient. Sometimes God will speak to you and tell you to go. Sometimes God will speak to you and tell you to come. Sometimes God will call you into a new season and a new idea, into a new thing, into a new process. And unfortunately, His schedule, though, that it, though it is completely superior to yours, it doesn't always line up with our subordinate schedule. God will speak to you in a moment and get you to do something. Well, here's the scenario. Uh, uh, I can see... God using all things to work together for our good. Because they didn't go to Bethlehem because they wanted to go to Bethlehem. They went to Bethlehem because they had to go and be taxed or be counted. But the problem was, the Scripture said in Micah that there was going to be a king come out of Bethlehem. So they had to get to Bethlehem. So whatever way God saw fit, He got them where He needed to be. But in your life and in my life, it doesn't always look convenient. Sometimes we feel like we're nine months pregnant. We just want to sit down, lay down and not move around. And God says, get on a donkey and ride for a few days. God's got something great for you in 2015. I just want to prophesy to you. Something's going to change, but it's not always going to be convenient. It's not always going to be convenient. Some of you are going to have to pray more. 
Some of you are going to have to pray more. We'll see if his screen would say amen. Some of you are going to have to spend some more time with God. Some of you have to find out what the Bible really says. There's a difference for living for God and not living for God. You ought to live for Him. Don't treat Him like a Holy Spirit butler. Clean up your mess all the time. If He was familiar with your voice, you wouldn't have to shout so loud. Moving on. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought first her firstborn, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Can I just say this? Uh, It was not normal to have a baby in a barn even 2,000 years ago. That was not status quo. It's not like, you know what, uh, that's just what they did back then. No, that is not what they did back then. They didn't just lay them in feed troughs because feed troughs were shaped like a bassinet. That was not the standard. Animals were dirty then and they're dirty now. Jesus was born in a barn because the barn was the place that had room for Him. Number two, Jesus goes where people make room for Him. I'm certain that the innkeeper did not know that the King of Glory needed a hotel room. I'm not blaming him at all. But in your life and in my life, we have to understand that the presence of God makes a residence where people make room for Him. In your life and in my life, uh, we set an appointment for every single person that we want to talk to that has information, data, or resources that we want access to. Case in point, you need to go to the dentist You set an appointment and you go to the dentist. You get to the dentist, you sign the piece of paper, then you sit in the hurry up room. No, you sit in the waiting room. And you wait because the dentist is the one who can fix your problem. So you start by setting an appointment that says, I value my time and your time so much that I'm going to make sure that I get to see you. And even when I go to see you, I'm going to wait until you're ready to provide for me the information or resources that I need. But for whatever reason, when it comes to the Spirit of God and the things of God, we treat God like He's Taco Bell, that if we put our order in at the first window and it's not there hot and ready by the second window, window all of a sudden we bail out on our prayer life instead of setting an appointment with God praying until he's ready praying until the situation uh, changes and realizing that sometimes those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength you'll mount up with wings like eagles all the things that are blowing and going crazy in your life have you ever seen an eagle fly in the wind Absolutely effortless, beautiful. My little boy, Walker Lee, who has an incredible Christmas list, does not understand why red-tailed hawks are illegal to shoot. If you love animals, I love animals too, with ketchup and barbecue sauce. And... But he doesn't understand it. He says, Daddy, why can't I shoot a red-tailed hawk? I want to put one on my wall. I said, if you shoot a red-tailed hawk, take it to Johnny's. <laughs> I said, don't shoot a red-tailed hawk, baby. But he loves seeing hawks and they got those Spanish eagles around here. He loves seeing those. And when you see one, when you see one of those beautiful birds, they're not sweating when it's windy. They're sweating when it's not. The Bible says that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll they'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. 
Here's the thing. Set an appointment with God. It's a very practical teaching right here. Set an appointment with God. One thing I like to do is set multiple appointments throughout the day. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I miss one or two. But if I miss the first one, I don't miss the second one. If I miss the second and the first one, I will not miss the third one. Because he's more important than the dentist to me. I go to the dentist, y'all. That brother must have cavities. He don't like dentists. I love dentists. One of my best friends is a dentist. But in your life and in my life, we have to set appointments with God so that we can make room for Him because where room is made, there He resides. Verse 8. There uh, they were keeping, there were keeping in the, in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 9. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were sore afraid. The glory of God shined around these shepherds who were working in the middle of the night. Number three, you are not going to miss God. You just need to work your land. You're not going to miss God. You just need to not grow weary in well-doing and believe that in due season you're going to reap. So many times through the Scriptures, we find men and women chosen by God that were not chosen by God sitting on their laurels on the couch on a Saturday morning or a Friday morning or whatever saying, Oh God, what do I do? They say, God, I believe that you're going to bless me. And then they worked the land that God had blessed them with. For instance, Moses is out tending sheep and the Bible says he comes across a bush that's on fire and he's just got to go talk to it. David misses his own anointing service. He's going to be the next king of Israel. All of his brothers are called and told they're probably going to be the one. And the Bible says that David is out tending sheep and the whole service gets moved to where David is. He's just out working and God just shows up. Some of you, uh, God has got a great calling on your life, and I agree. But the next step, the next phase, the next level is not contingent upon how lazy you can be. It's how much you can get done while you are where you are. Elisha, the one who did double the, ble- double the miracles that Elijah did, was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in the middle of a drought with dust and all kind of ox stuff hitting him and everything. And all of a sudden, God shows up. Elijah walks by, throws a jacket on him, and his life changes forever. And he was working the ground that God had blessed him with. Not wondering, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? It? How are you going to do it? Why are you going to live and tell you something? He's going to do it. He's got a season that's coming. He's got a timing that's coming. It's all going to work out. It's all going to come together. But in the right season, the right time, He needs to find you working and being faithful with what He's given you now. God's got a thing about shepherds too, and I'm not going to hit this long. He's got a thing about shepherds. Abel, in the Bible, he brought an offering to God that was from his flock, which means he was probably a shepherd. Abraham had lots of flocks. He was probably a shepherd. Moses definitely was a shepherd. David was definitely a shepherd. Here, the first people, listen to me, the first people who heard about Jesus being born on the very first Christmas in all of eternity were shepherds that were out tending sheep. Let me say it like this. 
It's very important who your pastor is. It's very important the role that your pastor plays in your life. A pastor is not your savior. A pastor is not your healer. A pastor is not the great I am to you. A pastor is oftentimes a shepherd that throughout the Bible and throughout the New Testament church hears from God first on things and then makes a decision on how to properly distribute that information. We'll see that in just a minute. But it's very important who you listen to because if you listen to somebody who's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've got a fighting chance. But if you're listening to somebody that's patting you on the back and telling you you're okay where you are, listen to me, you got more problems than a sheep. It's important who your pastor is. It's important who you listen to. It's important the voices that are in your life. It's important. God established this thing. It started years and years ago. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't changed. We had uh, several different men that show it. In the New Testament, it's the same type thing. Life just changes when you get yourself in line with the structure that God has established. And the structure that God established is, is to put shepherds over flocks that can get the information downloaded. And if you remember right, the Bible says that the angel Lord showed up and the glory of God shined around them. Then everything changed for them they immediately picked up stakes and went to find Jesus you got to have somebody who in the midnight hour is crying out to God in the right place in the right time that can deliver an on time word to you so that you don't have to go through this life being beat up by the devil and you can literally live in victory all the days of your life but you can't look at them like your savior or your healer it's a very uh, tug of war scenario but it's very important who speaks into your life uh, number nine, and lo, the angel of the Lord uh, came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were sore afraid. Verse 10, and the angel said unto them, fear not. I could stop and preach for a week right there. Fear not. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. God's number one and most favorite salutation whenever he sends a word or he sends an angel to speak to you, the number one thing that he likes to send, the number one thing that he likes to say is fear not. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I love the song that we sang today. No height, no depth, no angel, no demon. There is nothing in your life that you ought to be scared of. There's nothing in your life that ought to cause you fear that you don't immediately remind the devil, remind your mind and remind your circumstance that God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind is interesting because in the original text it's more like saying a level head or self-control. If you watch anybody that ever gets rescued, like sometimes they'll go to the Bering Sea and there'll be a, a helicopter that has to go down and get those crab fishermen that are crazy. I mean, I like crab legs, but man, these guys are out there. And they're over there and they, they send the helicopter thing down and they, they pick them up. And the, the first thing that every one of those people say to them is, Sir, I'm going to need you to calm down. Because if the devil can get you acting responsively instead of acting in faith, Meaning, if I hit my knee just right, if I hit my knee just right, there is a reaction that takes place. It's a reflex. It's not something that I really control. I'm out of control when that happens. But if the devil can get you in fear, 
Now the thing that is causing you angst is controlling your life. Instead, God says, I came and gave you a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind of self-control. Anytime you're scared, you don't operate in self-control. I'll give you an example. Take a, a spider and throw it on your wife. Her reaction is it's not going to be positive. My wife is interesting. I, she, she doesn't like snakes. And I don't, know, I don't trust anybody that does like snakes, just as a side note. But she doesn't like snakes like, like you know how it is. People just don't like snakes. And, 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 you know, she would see a snake at a zoo. And it's like, you know, the, it's in a cage. And she's like, you know, giving that thing a wide berth. You know, she's walking around the cage. I'm like, baby, I don't, I don't think it can get out. She's like, I just don't like snakes. Then one day, after we had kids, she sends me a picture of, of, of her holding a shovel with a dead snake on it. I said, well, what, where'd you get that snake? She said, I killed it. I said, what? She said, I didn't want it to bite my kids. You see, something happens when you have children. Now, all of a sudden, the thing that gave you concern, now, all of a sudden, you're running to it because you don't want to mess your kids up. Well, the God of heaven and earth fears nothing, and you're his child. So when you have something in your life that's causing a little fear, don't you understand? He's running to it, changing the situation, working on your behalf, constantly making intercession for you. But he needs you to have self-control. Verse number 11. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior. The city of David is Bethlehem, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be the sign unto you. He's still talking to the shepherds. And this shall be the sign unto you. You shall find a babe, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The city of David, Bethlehem. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. A manger was a food trough. It's where uh, things ate. And he says, what you're going to find is you're going to find a sign in the city of David, in the house of bread. You're going to find a baby laying in a feed trough. Later on, Jesus would say it like this. He'd take some bread. He'd break it. He'd say, this is my body. It was broken for you and for many. He tells the shepherds, I want you to look forward into things and I want you to understand there's going to be a sign in the house of bread. You will find the bread of life laying on a table where things eat. I want you to see him for what he is before anybody else sees him for what he is. Get there. Find him. Be close to him. Jesus changed everything just by being born. The fact that he was laid where food is consumed is prophetic that he's the true bread that you and I get to freely consume. The fact that he's born in a place called the house of bread proves he's the bread of life. 13 says this, and suddenly there was with him a multitude. Suddenly there was with him uh, the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Heavenly host is very interesting. Because the word host there is army. This was not a choir that showed up. The armies of heaven were revealed to some shepherds in a field watching their flocks by night after being told about the Messiah being born. The armies of God 
were there. And could you imagine the fear that would take place? Just think about the United States Army. Matter of fact, let's not think about uh, the Army or the Marines in particular. Let's just talk about a dozen Navy SEALs showing up at your house with all the firepower that they possess and surrounding your house and they haven't said anything yet. You're sitting there and the thing that you're wondering is, friend or foe? Whose side are you on? The shepherds are there looking up. And the armies of God are encompassing them. Interestingly enough, that's where you and I stand all the time. We just don't see them. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. But the scripture says that they said, Peace, goodwill. In a moment, the concern of the shepherds was shifted. God could have sent his choir and that would have been great. But he sent his army to let you and me know that though he's always ready and able to wipe out and destroy everything that's not his plan for your life the armies of God showed up just to say listen God sent an olive branch in the form of his son you see everything we have here we have Michael and everybody we could wipe out earth from the very beginning, we could stop everything. We could change everything. We could be the overwhelming power that the earth has never experienced. But instead, peace, goodwill towards men. Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Shepherds began to talk and made the choice that every human alive has to make. What are you going to do when you find out about Jesus? Wise men sought him. Herod tried to kill him. The shepherds got together and says, we got to go find him. And here's the deal. Don't, don't put the shepherds in some on a pedestal. Because before the shepherds before the shepherds, there was Mary. Before the shepherds, there was Joseph. Before the shepherds, there was Elizabeth. Before the shepherds, Zachariah came around eventually. But in your life and in my life, the question is still the same. There's been a Savior born. Our calendar is split by His coming. Our eternity will be split by His return. But the question is the same. What do you do with Jesus? If you're in the building, I want to give you an opportunity to make the greatest decision you've ever made. To change your lineage forever. 
The same God who caused men to leave their home and follow a star. The same God who caused shepherds to leave their flocks to find the sun. The same God who caused Mary and Joseph to leave Nazareth and go all the way to Bethlehem just so a prophecy would be fulfilled. The same God who changed Elizabeth and removed all of her reproach for not being able to have a baby. The same God who warned Noah and had him to build a boat. The same God who told Abraham, I'm going to make you great descendants more than the stars of the sky and the sand of the earth. The same God who changed everything for Moses. The same God who changed everything for David. The same God who changed everything for Solomon. The same God who took a Pharisee named Saul and changed him into a guy named Paul who wrote over half of our New Testament Bible. The same God who changed Brian Hallam some several years ago and caused him to preach the gospel with a fire and a fury that he had only heard about and talked about. The same God who heals the sick. The same God who sets captives free. He's the one who changes everything. The only question you have to answer is, what are you going to do with Jesus? Here's an example. And he didn't know. Y'all don't get mad at him. I'm sorry we don't have any room in the inn. He didn't know. But you know. Maybe even before you walked in here. But now you know for sure. You are excuseless before God. You know. He is the king of kings. And He is the Lord of lords. And when the armies of heaven showed themselves, instead of pointing at you and saying, you wretched sinner, we are going to wipe you out. God told him to say, glory to God, peace and goodwill. God chose you because He loves you longs for an opportunity to be with you. Ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment.